And good morning. Welcome again to Joy Christian Center. We are honored again to have you here. And uh, I'm Pastor Brian. I get to be the senior pastor here at Joy. And as you might notice, those of you that are familiar or regular attenders here, we've kind of flipped the script just a little bit. We've kind of, we're doing our... Uh, a couple things at the end are uh, generally we do our tithe, our offering at this point, but uh, we're just changing that a little bit. Hope you're okay with that. Uh, I mean, no, yeah, it's tough. Get over it because uh, we're doing it anyway. Praise the Lord. If we are doing a series, as I mentioned, we're doing a series called uh, a, 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 a Song of Christmas. And um, I want to read this scripture one more time and then make some comments to kind of set up where we're heading with this uh, series. But in Psalm 96, one, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Let's get rid of the old song, right? We're heading into a new year. Let's learn a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth and sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Proclaim the good news of his salvation. I hope that what you hear at Joy Christian Center is good news. And if, and if you're a guest, if you've maybe been in churches before and you've heard things that weren't good news that were attributed to God, I, I maybe would question what you've heard. Maybe, maybe God has been misrepresented to you this morning because the message that God brings is a message of good news. It's a challenging message, but it is a message of good news. It is a message, and, and as the psalmist goes on, proclaim the good news of his salvation. It is the message of salvation that you don't have to live the way that you've been living. You can have a new life. Verse 3 says, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all of the people. For the Lord is great and he is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And that's the distinction and the difference between Christianity and a lot of other religions. People think, well, there's many gods or there's many paths to God. Uh, you need to understand something. There is one God and his, that is God the Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's not many paths to God. There is one path. There is one way and his name is Jesus. He is the God of our salvation. And so in understanding what the psalmist is writing here, he's talking about a day of redemption. He's talking about a, a revelation of, of the greatness of God that causes a new song to be birthed. And, and, and in a sense, that's what my heart's desire is in this series, is that we would learn a new song. As I mentioned earlier, maybe your song has been despair or discouragement. Maybe your song has been, you know, I'm always under the weather. I'm always under the circumstances. That's not who God has created you to be. And we want you to learn a new song and be able to sing that song with confidence and with boldness again. Our praise reflects the greatness of God in our life. Our praise is a reflection of how great God really is in our life. And, and it's not dependent upon what God has done for us or how we feel at the moment. It is totally dependent upon God. And so in this thought, in this idea of the song of Christmas, uh, I've thought about a lot of different things and we'll kind of work through several different things. We'll go three Sundays and then we'll end on Christmas Eve. We'll do our Christmas Eve service, which is at four o'clock on, on Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve happens to be on December 24th this year, uh, which, um, you know, it's been that, you know, anyway. And so uh, <clears throat> I just thought I'd, that public service announcement for Pastor Brian. And so I, I, I've been thinking about songs and singing and I like to sing. I like to, it's just a, a part of my bent, if you will. And, and so I, I, I've thought about it like this. There are, what is it that causes a, causes a song to be inspired as well as what is it in a song that will inspire people? What causes a song to be inspired, but what about a song inspires? How many of you know that, that you could put four or five people in the same place? <clears throat> now, I like that song, the very first song, um, 
which I can't even remember the name of it right now. <coughs> but that's the very first song, one of my favorite songs ever, but I can't remember it. Um, Lord, you are good. That song was one of the first songs ever sung in this building uh, seven or eight years ago, and I still like it. Now others are like, I hate that song. Have you ever noticed that what, what, somebody sound, what, what one song can sound inspiring to one person is obnoxious to another person? Anybody ever notice that? Probably some of you are like, Pastor Brian, you're nuts. That's a stupid song. I hate that song. I can't help your lack of poor taste, or you know, your, or, I'm sorry, your abundance of poor taste, not a lack of poor taste. Uh, but but so, what is it that inspires in a song? What inspires a song? I, I've led worship for a long time, and I've had people come to me and say, you know, I've been inspired, and the Lord has given me a song, and then I hear the song, and I'm thinking, I know why God gave you that song because He didn't like it. <laughs> Nobody likes that song. That's why He gave it to you. <laughs> Those are bubble thoughts that you don't actually say out loud, but you want to say, you know, and you, you know. So, 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 what inspires, or is it, it, what inspires one person may not. But the other side of it is what causes me to be inspired by a song, because there's a lot of subjectivity at times in our worship or in, in, in just in any song that inspires. I, the, and for me, it can be powerful vocals. When, when there's a vocalist that, that, that just rocks it, when there's a vocalist that the pitch is so in, in command and their, their tonal quality, and then I call it an athletic voice where they can do the runs and do all these other things, and their just voice goes all over the place. They don't even have to use words. And just, and I'm, I'm just literally, there are things, I mean, I'll just kind of get like little tear balls. Because it's like, that is so awesome. And then for other people, it's the lyrics of a song, the words of a song, which actually kind of should be pretty important, but the words of a song can, can move us. And at times, they, they move us to, to dance or to uh, you know, maybe be emotional in, in some way, shape, or form. And so that can inspire, the, the, the powerful vocal can inspire, the words can inspire, the, 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 the message behind the song that is expressed in words. And, and sometimes when a person connects with the song, when you know that a person has really connected with the song, where they're not just singing it because it's a nice song. They're singing it because it is the reality that is in their heart. There's just an honesty and a transparency that comes out in that song that causes it to be something that inspires or connects with us in a way. I was thinking with you know, Teen Challenge was here last week, the uh, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Choir. They were here. And, and please don't take this any way other than hopefully you take this away. I mean it. I don't think people come to that performance or to that service expecting to hear the greatest choir on earth. In fact, really, if we listen to that, we could be extremely critical and say they could barely, I mean, they were scared singing and they, you know, there's a lot of things that we could say that it's like, man, that wasn't very good from a vocal performance standpoint. But how many of you know that's one of the best choirs you'll ever hear? And you know why? It's because, amen, it is because you know that what they're singing about, it's real. And, and, and we're able to, now, that doesn't mean that, you know, well, I mean, and it's easy to do. I mean, you can go through the motions of singing. How many of you know that? You can go, in church even, you can go through the motions of singing, can't you? Amen. You're singing words that are coming out of your mouth, but you're thinking about your grocery list. You're wondering where you're going for lunch. You're just going through the motions. That is not greatly to be praised. Amen? Yeah, I know. I knew you'd all like that a lot. <clears throat> so, 
What is it about a song that inspires? What is it about a song that connects? And many times it is because of that, that deep emotional connection that, re, that, that the heart of a person is responding to or singing with that we connect with. And it, there's a, something that draws us in with that and it, it, it inspires us or it produces action in our heart and in our life. And so in this, in this series that we're going to do that we're calling the Song of Christmas, uh, in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, we're presented with we're going to use four characters or a couple of couples and, of course, Mary and Joseph and uh, they're in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. But there's, there's a couple of songs that are mentioned. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about Zacharias and, and Elizabeth and, and she sings a song. Eventually he's, well, he does, a, he, he does a prophecy. Mary's song is in there. We're going to talk about Mary next week. And then uh, there's the song that the angels sing in Luke chapter 2. And then later on in Luke chapter 2, there's another, actually it's the very first rap song uh, because it's not sung. It's actually said, it's a prophecy that Simeon talks about. We'll talk about the chorus or that, that particular aspect of it on, on Christmas Eve. And, and the way we're talking about this, because you might be tempted to say that there are songs of Christmas, but there's really one song. And in that one song, there is, like any song, there is a melody that carries the song. It is that thing that you hum when you don't know the word. There's the melody that is there. There is something, we sang it in every song that we sung this morning, something called the bridge. And the bridge is a part of a song that at times can be unexpected or it is generally, it is something that's a little bit different than the rest of the song. It's kind of like a little surprise in that song. The rhythm and tempo might be just a little bit different. You'll hear it in, in, from now on. You'll hear it in these songs that we sing. There's just, it's just a, a moment almost of like Selah, pause, think about it. It's, it's just a little bit of a break from the rest of that song that sort of is like, whoo, that's a little surprise right there. And then you go back into the rest of the song. And then there's the chorus. And the chorus of a song generally, I think we all know this, that the chorus of a song is generally, it is the most recognizable it is probably the part that everybody responds to the verses we kind of and then we get to the chorus and we all sing the chorus because that's the part that we know is the chorus and so and it can get weird in church can't it because we don't know the words, words are flying by and doing stuff and you know, we're looking at screens trying to figure it out and, and if you're new here and it's like, well, this is overwhelming and all those different things. But there's, there's, there's an order to a song and and we're going to use the different characters that are in the Bible. Mary's song is like the melody. Mary carried the promise of God. And, and, and her life is like a melody. And her song is like a melody that carried the birth of Christ. And there's the, there is the unexpected announcement that the angels, it's like the bridge. The angels gave that announcement to the, to the shepherds. They, they weren't the right people. And they went to a barn instead of a, instead of a kingdom to honor the king of kings and the lord of lords. And then there's the chorus that would be Christmas Eve, that was the birth of Christ. That's the part everybody's familiar with, that's the part that everybody's used to. And so, in the concept or construction of a song, the chorus is the most recognizable part. Just go ahead, I, I wanna illustrate it to you like this. One of my favorite characters, go ahead.
Google Mr. Bean. But anyway, his whole clip in church could very well be preached and just, you know, anyway, it's awesome. But anyway, we have a sermon to preach. I could talk to Mr. Bean. We'll, maybe we should do a series called Mr. Bean. I don't know. All of us old people would know exactly who that is. The rest of you would like, who's Mr. Bean? Is it a Java bean or is it a cocoa bean? Or Anyway, all right. Well, here we go with the song of Christmas. Let's just talk about this a little bit. I want to introduce a, a couple to you, but, but really every song, generally every song starts pretty much the same way. We're familiar with a song because somebody sings it or be, you know, if it's whoever your favorite artist is, they sing it or it's on your favorite show, whatever it might be. We're familiar with a song from that from that context, if you will, but almost every, really every song starts with an author. It starts with a, it starts with a composer. It starts with somebody who has the idea and an inspiration, if you will, whether it's because of a circumstance in life or because of a necessity in life, they have a reason for the song to be written and, and, and therefore they begin to construct and build a song. And every song starts the same way. And the song of Christmas starts that way as well. And the song of Christmas starts with a promise from the author or the composer whose name is God. And in Genesis chapter 22, the composer, the author, God, says this to Abraham and to Sarah. He said in verse 17 of Genesis 22, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. Now, if you're familiar with the story, if you've been around here, we've mentioned this many times before, but Abraham and Sarah are pretty unlikely to get this promise, first of all. Because Abraham and Sarah are past the years of being able to have children. It was impossible for them to have kids. And now God is telling them, you and your descendants, he says, you and your descendants, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, <clears throat> all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All of the nations of the earth, Abraham and Sarah, are going to be blessed because of you. You are going to have seed, children, descendants that will be great and they will be numerous and they will multiply. And us today, several thousand years later from that promise, we have, the, we have the privilege of being able to look back and see how that was fulfilled, not just in a nation, Israel, but in the birth of the Son of God, the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3 talks about that, but the seed of Abraham through whom all of the earth has the privilege and potential of being blessed. Now, God had given that promise to Abraham and to Sarah and said, you will have a seed, a child, and that child will be the offspring. Uh, your, your offspring will become a great and a mighty nation. And through the course of time, as, as, as Israel progressed in their followership of God, God instituted ordinances, instituted laws, he instituted temple worship, and, and, and I'm going to kind of hit, hit some real high highlights, kind of 30,000, well, more like thirty. Million, I don't know, really high view of sort of what happened because God instituted some different rituals within their temple worship. And one of the things that they would do is they would go into the temple and they would worship the Lord, but they would also, in their worship to the Lord, part of it is that they would pray and they would do different things, lighting candles, things like that, burning incense to the Lord. And part of that was in recognition of this promise, but in also that there was going to be the birth of the Messiah, that God's son or that the Messiah, the Redeemer, was going to come to Israel. And every, every time when they would come together, and this was done <clears throat> from generation to generation to generation to generation. And if you're a kid today and you're waiting for Christmas, 
You know, we've said this kind of before, but, you know, as a, as, a, as a parent, as an adult, we're like, are you kidding me? Christmas is like only 20 days away. And kids are like, 20 days away, it's never going to get here. I mean, you know, we, we kind of, you know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, wow. Praise the Lord. All right. So, <clears throat> meanwhile, back at Pastor Brian's message. Um, no, thank you. Uh, so, here we are with, uh, uh, you know, for, for generation to generation to generation, they've got this promise and, and, and they're expecting. They expect the deliverer. They expect the Messiah. And that generation dies and, and another generation comes and they are expecting the promise. They're expecting the Messiah and that generation dies. And, and from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation, it seems like that promise is not happening. It seems like that promise is not going to come to pass until finally in this song that God authors, this song that God is composing, in fact, really it hits a point in Israel's history where God goes silent for 400 years. There is no song. There is no voice. There is no word of the Lord. And it is strictly silence. And it is into that that we take Luke chapter 1 and we read these words. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And, and we could really say this, like these guys were, these kids were, these people were preacher's kids. They, both of them, their parents served in the temple. Their parents had gone through the same things that for generations that they've been praying and waiting and expecting for the Messiah to come and to be born and to be revealed to Israel. Verse six says, and they were both righteous before God. They walked in the commandments and ordinances. Remember from our last series, the ordinances are God's ordinary ways. They walked in God's ordinary ways uh, uh, and of his ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But, here's a little drama, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Well advanced in years means not just old, really old, really old. Some of you are advanced, some of you are very advanced or well advanced. Guys, I would not suggest going home and saying, honey, you're advanced. Cesar is not going to go over real, real well for you and there will not be much in your stocking at Christmas time. But it says they, have no they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced years. That means that they were old. They were, they were beyond the years. And, and, and being barren in this culture, I mean, this was like God hates you or God's rejected you or you've done something terrible and so God's not going to give you a child. And, and she felt that shame. She felt that reproach. She felt that, that unworthiness. And yet there she still was in the temple and there he was uh, as well serving in that way. And you think about it, here, here's this couple that they are serving, they're, they're living the way that they should be living, doing exactly everything that God wants them to do, walking in his ordinary ways. They were blameless in their lives, and it seemed like God's promise was never going to happen for them or for the nation of Israel. Think about that for just a second. They're in the temple, he's in the temple, praying and, 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 and seeking and waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the, the deliverers of Israel to come. But then he's also there praying and saying, God, I, I just, we want to have a child. And year after year after year, God's promise seems silent. God's promise doesn't seem to be happening, nor does the promise of life for them giving birth to a child seem like it's going to happen for them either. 
It seems like everything they do and everywhere they go, it seems like they are faced with God being silent or God not showing up or God not doing what we think or they thought that he should be doing. And they begin to wonder, God, where are you? God, where are you? We've been standing and waiting for this promise of the Messiah, not just for a year or 10 years or 50 years or 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years. We've been waiting for this for thousands of years. And God, it doesn't seem like you're going to come through. But here's the heart for me. Here's the heart of the Christmas song, the author, the composer. And I, I, I'm going to ask, go ahead and put it up on the screen. I, I want us to read this together, uh, out loud, together. Actually, just repeat after me. God is a God who keeps his promises, even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. So read that again. God is a God who keeps his promises, even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. This becomes really important because it's, it's the temptation that we all have in the midst of waiting for whatever it is that we're waiting for, the promise of God, for the prom- whatever it might be. It's easy for us to lose sight of those promises. It's easy for us to give up, to get weary in well-doing. And here is a couple that God presents himself to that already has drama going on in their life. They are barren. They are childless. They cannot produce or conceive a child. And here they are in the temple doing what we would think, man, you're, you know, God really probably really likes you a lot more than everybody else because of what you're doing. And, and, and so this song that God begins to compose and begins to write starts with this promise to Abraham that through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And now here we are a a couple thousand years later and it looks like that promise is not gonna happen. I mean, Israel had its moments and and, and you could follow the history of Israel. You could talk about the glory days of of Israel where there was David, you know, and and the expansion of the kingdom, the wealth of the kingdom, the greatness of the kingdom to his son Solomon and the magnificent temple that was built. and those glory days, but shortly after that, uh, you know, the, the nation of Israel fell into, you know, into, into sin. Uh, they, they, they lost their way. There were some good kings. There were some bad kings. Uh, there were roughly 25 different countries that occupied and possessed the land from the Babylonians to the Syrians to the Persians to the Greeks. I mean, all kinds of different groups possessed that land. And it seemed like how in the world <clears throat> is this tiny little nation going to be a blessing to the entire world? How is that ever going to happen? About 65 BC, there was a a Roman general that that went into Jerusalem with an occupying force, and he went into the temple. And he didn't just go into the temple, but he went into the very holy of holies. He went into the temple, desecrated the temple, and came back out again. And when that general did that, word went through Jerusalem, word, word went through the land, because it was obvious what had happened. Because the holy place and the holy of holies, the temple was sacred. And there were others that had gone into that, into where the presence of God was. And they had fallen dead because they had gone in that, in a way that wasn't in accordance with the way that God prescribed to go in. But that Roman general went in and came back out. And the implication was clear. That the gods of the Romans were greater than the God of Israel. And Elizabeth and Zechariah this was 65 BC, they were probably alive or for sure heard the stories 
of that. And so here's this nation that has a promise from God that through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And it seemed like it was never going to happen. In fact, it seemed like the God of the Romans was greater than the God of Israel. And that's not unlike the day that we live in today that we sometimes feel like or seems like other gods, other forces are more powerful than our own God. But it's in that moment that we need to remember that God is a God that keeps his promises even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. And for Elizabeth and for Zechariah, it seemed like it would never happen for them and it would never happen for Israel. And that's the backstory of what was going on that makes this part of the song so important. We're familiar with the chorus, Jesus is born. But we get to the verses, we get to the other parts, Jesus is born. But we don't really understand some of the other things that were in the heart of the composer. God showed up at a critical time in Israel's history. At an appointed time. Listen to what happens in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this, so, so it was, this is Zacharias, and so it was while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that his lot fell to burn incense when he, was, when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And so here's what was happening, and this was a great honor, this was a high honor really for for a priest, and, and there were 23 divisions of priests. A lot of people were involved in this, and it was a high honor to be able to burn incense in the temple, and, and so they would cast lots, and whoever got the lot, they, they were the one that got to light the incense, and it just so happened that Zacharias is the one that this happened for. Verse 11 says, as he went in, he began to burn the incense, and verse 11 says, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. And, 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 and the following scriptures, the angel, when he was saying this, this is a, a reference to John the Baptist. And he said that, that John, his ministry would turn the hearts of, of people back towards God. And the reason that that was important was because the hearts of people had turned away from God. Because God was taking too long. Because God wasn't doing what they thought that he should be doing. And, and people, some people were just like, I'm tired of this. I, I, you know, I'll go through the motions of, of, of religion, but, but I just don't believe that God's ever going to show up. It has been too long, and it has been too hard, and it seems like it's impossible for this nation to ever be a blessing. Not just in Israel, but in the world. It seems too difficult and too hard. It's impossible. And so John's ministry was going to be to turn the hearts of the people back towards God in a way that they would expect and believe and anticipate the coming of the Messiah. Verse 18 said, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now, think about this. <clears throat> Zacharias has been in the temple. He knows his way around and suddenly something he has never seen before occurs. An angel appears to him and he's wondering, is this real? How can I know for sure? It's, I, I think that the angel was like, you know what? How many angels have you seen in here? <laughs> I mean, seriously, this happened a lot. I mean, you know, how can I know that this is real? He said, but this is, this is really the heart of his question. He wasn't asking, how can I know this is real? He was asking, how can this happen for me? And that's a question we all ask. Okay, I get that it can maybe somebody else, but what about me? How can this happen for me? Because you don't know my story, Mr. Angel. 
And because you don't know my story, let me, let me tell you what my story is. Notice what he said. He said, I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. He's learned his lesson. He's not old. He's just well advanced. She's as old as I am. It is impossible. Mr. Angel, you are late. You're too late. Now, if you'd have been here when I was 25, then maybe. Or when we were 30. Or when we were 35 or 40, maybe 45. But you're late. It is, we're not just old. We are well advanced. We are beyond the stage and the age whereby we could ever have children. This is impossible. How many of us feel the same way? You're too late, God. God, you're too late. If you'd have been here last week, last month, last year, last whatever, but now this has happened and it's impossible. Now these things of, these circumstances, this, this is, all these things are here and it's impossible. I don't, I don't see any other way, God, but guess what? God is the God. God is the God. He is the one, is he not? That when it seems like it's impossible, it is not impossible to God. When it seems like it is impossible for God to keep his promises, it is not impossible for God to do those things. And so I want to fast forward just a little bit because he goes on. In, in verse 19, he says, The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You did not believe my words, which, would be, which were to be fulfilled in their time. And that Greek idea means there was an appointed time. And this is so important because on God's calendar, there was an appointed time. There was a time that God was saying, and it was through the ages, but there was a time right there at that point, at that time. It was never in doubt and never in question in God's mind, in God's thinking, in God's time, in God's eye. But it was in the eyes, mind, and heart of the people. And I don't know what that means to you. I don't know exactly what that means for us, but I do know this, that God is the God who keeps his promises when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. And that should be the song and the motivation and the heart that when we face impossible odds and impossible times, that God is the God. And we could fast forward through this story. We find that, you know, we'll talk about Mary next week. She comes and Elizabeth has a word for her and Mary sings a song. And then, and then the baby John is born. And they bring him to the temple for the ceremonial part of the temple. And when they bring him to the temple, they ask Elizabeth, what will his name be? And she said, John. And others were like, well, why would you call him John? There's nobody in your family that is named John. That seems odd. And, and really, you should pick a different name that, re that resembles your family. And, and Zacharias still was unable to speak. And he got some paper and, and he wrote down. And he said, his name shall be called John. And at that moment, his tongue was loosed. At that moment, he was able to speak. And this is what he said. The Spirit of God came on him. It's verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in whose house, in the house of his servant David. 
And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Really the heart, and there's more prophecy to this, but really the heart was that God has raised up a horn of salvation. God has raised up salvation from the house of David. And it didn't just happen then. The word was spoken at the beginning, at the foundations of the world. He said, who have been ever since the world began. This word was around since the world began. You know what that says to you and me? That says that the word that was spoken, whether 2,000 years ago from the lips of Jesus or thousands of years ago from the, the, the words of a prophet, they all stem from the heart of God. And those words are eternal words. And those words will never lose their power. They will never lose their worth. And if that word was spoken 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, it is as powerful right now today in 2015 as it was that it, the moment that it left the heart of God and was penned by one of the prophets. No word of God is void of power. None. None. God is a God who keeps his promises even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. And so what was it? And what does that mean to me? Because that should be our song. That's the song that was in the heart of the Father. When humanity was separated from God and it seemed like God had turned his back, he hadn't turned his back. He was now knee deep, if you will, in the act of redemption, bringing about his plan and will and purpose on planet Earth so that we could be Embraced by Emmanuel, God with us. His desire has always been to be with his creation. And so what does that mean to you and me? God is a God who keeps his promises when the promises seem impossible to keep. What is it that you've wanted God to do? What are the impossibilities? God said, I, I, I'm going to bless the entire earth through a tiny nation. And it seemed like it would never happen. And there are things in your life that you think might never happen. Your marriage is never going to change. He or she will always be the same. Your job is never going to get better. Your circumstances will never improve. The habits that have hold, held you in bondage before, they're going to continue to hold you in bondage forever. You will live like a slave to those things. Those are the thoughts that many of us have, but that is not the song of God because God is the God who is our deliverer and he has raised up a horn of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read this scripture, Psalm chapter 40 and verse one. The living Bible says it like this. I waited patiently for God to help me. I waited patiently for God to help me. When I think about Elizabeth and I think about Zacharias, there had to have been the temptation often. Why are we doing this? We keep offering the same sacrifices and doing the same things and nothing changes, nothing happens. It just seems like it's worse. We need to change our perspective and be like the psalmist who says, I waited patiently for God to help me and then he listened and he heard my cry. I waited patiently, then God acted. He listened, he heard my cry. And I love this, he lifted me up. Uh, this is for somebody this morning. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the bog and the mire. He set my feet on, hard, on a hard, firm path, and he steadied, steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a song of praise to our God. Now many will hear of the glorious things that he did for me, and they will stand in awe before the Lord and put their trust in him. I want to read verse 3 again. He's given me a new song to sing of praise to our God. 
And now many will hear of the glorious things that he did for me, and they will stand in awe before the Lord and put their trust in him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment, I need to ask you this question. If you're here today, and maybe you feel like that, you're, that person bogged down in mud and mire and clay, everything is slippery and you're falling, God is offering to you a, f- a solid foundation. His name is Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, you've never surrendered your life or your way to him, and it sounds like or feels like that that should be the thing that you should do, I would love to pray a simple prayer with you, that transaction of faith, exchanging your way for his way. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never made him the Lord of your life, but you would like to today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Could I do that? If if that's you, would you please lift up your hand real high? Anyone say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus Lord. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just hold your hand up real high so I can see it. Anyone else this morning? Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you all pray this prayer? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I believe today that Jesus Christ died for me. He rose again, and he is now alive. And I declare today, Jesus, you are my Savior and Lord. I thank you that today I can surrender my way to your way. I thank you that you lead my life in the ways that bring me to peace and joy. So thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin, setting me free, and giving me a new life. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer. And Father, I thank you that you've begun that work in them, that you've removed the old and that you put something new in them. I thank you, Father God, that you have given them a new song to sing, a song of the redeemed. And I thank you for that this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.